0: Hey Matt, how's it going? Matt, it's good to hear you. <laughs> yeah, it's been it's been a while. Um, I just rewatched the the documentary we made with you, um, the the right to bear 3D printers, and and it holds up pretty well. And I anybody that hasn't seen it yet, check out Matt, and his very calm, rational explanation as to why that particular freak out um, from uh, people that, that love gun control was was unfounded. But uh, I guess that was, uh, we won an award in 2019, so it's been a while since we talked.
1: Yeah, I mean, and that was a, a hell of a project. I mean, I had a, a great time with uh, y'all and the crew, and I, I mean, I really think we did it justice. And it's amazing, not only that, um, it's amazing how much the uh, you know 3D gun community has advanced in such a very short period of time. Like since we did that, there are so many more uh, what we call hybrid kits that don't involve any firearm components at all that are being shot safely, thousands of rounds, and um, obviously not posing uh, you know significant public safety problems either.
0: Yeah. Um, so what what are you up to these days? Um, I, I think you got some new projects going on. Yeah,
1: so I've got um, I've got a YouTube channel, Fud Busters, where I cover uh, Second Amendment law and policy, uh, that sort of thing. I am still working with Firearms Policy Coalition. I um, also run a shop, uh, MAF, which manufactured there. I'm at Carillon de Floride, where we sell a wide variety of um, you know stuff
0: related to what we're talking about. Um, and you're you're based in Florida now. Yes, sir. Wait, is is that where you're from? I I don't remember. Yes, I am a native uh, indigenous Floridian. Indigenous Floridians, and, <laughs> and and Florida is now the the free state of Florida, relative to um, particularly lockdown states. Right. Yeah, that was um,
1: geez, what a what a shock it was for me to travel outside of the state. Uh, the first few weeks of of all this stuff, it did get pretty bad, and um, there were even some uh, like the local municipality tried to lock down gun stores. Um, and very quickly, uh, the governor was just like, nah, (laughs) you know, Florida's open. Uh, it was, it was pretty, you know, we only had probably about three weeks of any semblance of lockdown.
0: Yeah. I mean, uh, governor DeSantis did what I would have expected any rational governor to do because the, the approach on lockdowns is 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 so radically divergent from from any sort of science or public policy uh, right. prior to COVID, and I I, I got to give him a shout out for that. And you you can tell he's doing a good job because everybody's trying to take his head off in the mainstream media. Yeah, no, and and if I, if anything, I'm disappointed in one thing, um, and it's that.
1: I, I've been disappointed that we haven't been able to raise significant legal challenges to curfews, and I had a bunch up my sleeves that I wanted to bring, uh, and of course, all of those uh, cases that I wanted to uh, bring were, were quickly mooted. <laughs> so if there's anything I've, if I'm disappointed in, DeSantis doing such a great job in, is that I wasn't able to uh, sue him.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, let's actually let's give people some background because you you have an interesting resume to say the least. You are a constitutional lawyer, a mechanic, and judging from the uh, wall behind you, you're you're an, you're a gun enthusiast. Like you you seem to be into this.
1: Yeah, this is a little sampling of uh, my collection. I've always been into this type of stuff, and uh, you know the. So yeah, like you say, I mean, you always make me blush, but uh, yeah, I started off fixing cars in Orlando. That was my first job. Always wanted to be a lawyer, went to law school and um, just kind of wound up falling in with Cato and with other groups uh, doing public policy stuff. And I really enjoyed it. Um, but I, I haven't been able to shake the desire to like do things tangibly and, and make tangible things. And so that left me falling in with the 3D Gun community as well as the collector's community. and so we've been working at manufacturing um, stuff to you know help make both things a little easier
0: um, and your your background is your your name's French, uh, yeah. but your your mom is from Jamaica. both your parents were immigrants, right? Yes, sir mm-hmm. and uh, in in the in the documentary, you talk about about how they sort of instilled in you at a very young age this idea that America was special be, because we were free tell that story
1: yeah and so i i don't know if my mom intended to manufacture a radical libertarian when she told me this but when you know i was a very timid child and i remember a defining moment in my life was i was asking my mom well you know can we do this and it was to something you know pedestrian And she told me, she said, Matthew, we came here for a reason, and it's because you don't ever ask or you shouldn't ever ask who is going to let you do something. You should only ask who's going to stop you and can they. And that was, like, incredibly life-changing and, you know, just a lot of uh, or life-defining and a lot of lessons I learned from both of them. My mother was the immigrant. My father actually never... uh, you know, became a US citizen. Uh, But they he still got to come here and start up businesses and do all kinds of stuff. And, you know, I was always taught how important that was to have the freedom to start a business, to have the freedom to, you know, do and make transactions uh, right with people all over the world that, uh, you know, be it not for that freedom, we wouldn't have bread on the table.
0: Yeah. I've, you know, every time I, I speak internationally and particularly in the last, uh, three, four five years, um, inevitably, um, some young student comes up afterwards and says, you have to save America because if we lose America, we don't have that model. I've been joined by my cat, by the way. So if I get hung <laughs> up on you or what are you doing, buddy? Um, anyway, so like, they always say the same thing. You have to save America. Like I, I like I need that burden um, <laughs> because um, no matter where I go in the world, people still, people that love freedom still look to America as a model. And I, I feel like we're, we're losing that that ethos here. And it's 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 a thousand cuts and like lockdowns I never anticipated. But um, today I want to talk about about the ongoing, never-ending efforts to take away what you describe as a civil liberty, our right to defend ourselves, our right to, to own um, guns. And, uh, and I wanted to start by like, obviously the Obama administration and the Democrats who have taken over Congress have all sorts of plans for us, um, at least for our guns. But uh, first of all, what's, what's, your, what's your assessment of, of the Trump years? Was it, was it good for gun freedom or was it a mixed bag? So, and, and it's interesting, um, and uh, I, I, you had a funny slip up. You said the Obama
1: administration. I know it's ah. it's 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 hard to uh, uh, keep them separate, right? Uh, but so in the Obama administration, you know, it was, so I, that's how I like to talk about the Trump administration is coming from like talking about the Obama administration first. And when you look at both of them at the end of the day, it's hard not to notice that the obama administration was on net liberalizing for gun rights and you can't say the same thing about the trump administration um on net i think the trump administration was restrictive for the right to keep and bear arms Uh, of course there's naturally the bump stock thing um and and there was push and pull on the 3D printing sphere. So you could attribute those early DOJ actions against gun printing to Obama. And in which case, if you do, it kind of tilts the scales the other direction. Uh, but I think that, and I actually was fortunate enough to sit down with some people in the Trump administration in the very early days. And I explained, I was like, this is a list of all of the stuff you could do with just the stroke of a pen right, perhaps not legitimately, but legitimately now, right, in th- in terms of actions that are done every single day, that would dramatically improve quality of life for gun owners. And the thing I really focused to them was importation, right? We've had significant restrictions on the ability to import affordable firearms over the past couple um, of administrations. And it's kind of just got flown under the radar. But while it's happened, it's driven the price of firearms up tremendously. And these guys, these representatives, like looked blown away. They had no idea. And so I kind of got excited. And then I go, well, what actually winds up happening? Trump administration actually cracks down even further on imports from Eastern Europe. Uh, so, and again, in the price, and what we could actually observe from the Trump administration is driving the price of. AK derivatives, which, in my opinion, are some of the most effective firearms that American could ever ask for, up about 20 to 30 percent, which is significant. Yeah. So, you know, it's to compare what the plans of the Biden administration are. It's kind of like, you, you know, there is no gold standard at this point because it seems to have been from a you know president, presidential perspective, a one way ratchet for the last 40 years.
0: So um, let's go back to bump stocks for just a just a minute, and that was uh, that was a an executive action in reaction to the the mass shooting right. in Las Vegas, and and that was just the Justice Department deciding to ban them under the uh, whatever the Machine Act, the, Machine the National Act. Firearms Act. Yeah, yep. explain explain what they did, and, and I guess the, the courts just kicked it out or something. So they kicked the ball a few times. It's actually really
1: interesting what happened with the bump stock thing, but so the NFA is actually, in my opinion, one of the most horrible gun laws that we've had. Um, It was purportedly in response to, you know, organized crime, which naturally wouldn't have happened but for uh, prohibition of alcohol, right? Um, So you suddenly make the alcohol market so lucrative and dangerous, what do people do? Well, they wind up using weapons to protect their trade. Uh, and so in response to this, similarly to the drug war, you know, government ramped up violence and they're saying, oh, well, we're being outgunned because for the entirety of our nation's history, you could buy up to that point. You could buy whatever the heck you wanted from wherever the heck you wanted it. Um, and so they created the system which was designed to make it so the average American just could not afford a handgun. And it was designed to attack handguns, a handgun or any handgun effective replacement for a handgun and machine guns. Uh, And then they threw in suppressors randomly. There was barely any explanation as to why, but they just did. And so it attacked handguns. That's why we also have restrictions on short-barreled rifles and short-barreled shotguns, uh, which surprise, surprise, nowadays we've accepted are probably the most effective means of home defense would be a 10 inch or so AR or AK. So they did this. They imposed a $200 tax on the registration of any such item. That in today's money was about $3,500, which you just, you know, I would not be able to afford <laughs> you know. Uh, eventually they took handguns off. There was all this backdoor dealing. They took handguns off, but they left on the things that were designed to prevent a end run around the handgun ban, which is fascinating. But we all remember it most for the machine gun ban. So... Fast forward to the bump stock days. DOJ just decides, well, we got to get rid of these bump stocks. So what will we do? Well, we'll just call them machine guns, Uh, which the, you know, the law defines machine gun pretty clearly. It's a weapon that shoots more than one shot per single function of the trigger without manually reloading. And a bump stock kind of has the weapon flop around. Which enables the user to kind of push it forward and keep it bouncing off your trigger. So there's actually uh, a lot of functions of the trigger going on, but they kind of just threw up their hands and said, it's a machine gun. This is obviously not kosher, but all of the courts and, th- and cases were brought all across the country in various courts of, um, in various federal circuits, and they all kind of went in different directions. The DOJ was explicitly not asking for Chevron deference, and yet still some courts insisted on applying Chevron deference, which is basically, uh, it basically stands for the prep, uh, proposition that if the government interprets a vague statute, whatever the government's interpretation is gets significant deference. Uh, otherwise, courts just kind of bought the definition. Um, and this kind of goes with a theme in uh, gun jurisprudence, where wherever there is, you know, a significant constitutional question, it will receive actual scrutiny, unless it involves guns, uh, and that is doubly so if it involves black guns, and triply so if it involves guns that go ratatata, and uh, that. Just there, there seems to be no other explanation for the way they went all over the place. Of course, there were recently developments in the bump stock ban in the circ- Sixth Circuit that may be pushing the other direction. But aside from that, it has just been uh, kind of the judiciary stepping aside from their role in actually saying what the law is and just doing deference to what they perceive is something that you know the public is against.
0: So I was thinking about this. I was reading a piece you just wrote on assault weapons, and I definitely want to get in to to some of your work on that. Oh, but
1: before you do that, let me just say something very clearly, because a lot of people think, and one of the reasons that this bump stock thing went through is everybody says, and Biden has said it on camera multiple times. He said, well, machine guns are just illegal, right? You can't own machine guns. That's the case. Why aren't I in jail? I've got one right here. I've got a few. They are not illegal, And even when they passed the NFA, they knew and they openly said, we can't just ban machine guns, right? That would be unconstitutional. The process for an individual to acquire and own a machine gun is incredibly annoying. But don't let somebody sit there and tell you that machine guns are illegal. That is not the case. Any person who is not prohibited from owning a firearm and it's not prohibited under their state law
0: can own a machine gun. It is just Preposterously difficult. Yeah, it, and and you, you point out something that I never ever thought ta- thought about, but the uh, the sort of trade restrictionism of the Trump administration effectively was gun control because right. and and you talk about this a lot on assault weapons. Um, there's haves and have-nots, right? And and um, if you're rich enough and you're connected enough, you can get a machine gun. You can get whatever you want. Um, but there's there's fees and costs and 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 ratcheting up of prices, which which basically means that gun control is targeting um, poor people and specifically uh, poor people of color, and that's that's sort of a, a interesting economic way to look at what what they do in practice as opposed to what they talk about.
1: Right. Yeah. And so I guess that plays into the article, uh, like you were saying. That's what I – I just started looking at all of these proposals, and, I, and the more I read them, the more I noticed a common thread. There is people there, – there are people who will be affected, the working man. The you know 1968 – that is what I believe. The Gun Control Act of 1968 is, I think, the blackest mark on our uh, gun law in this country. It specifically targeted the importation of small, affordable European handguns. The type of which I have right here, they were made predominantly in Spain, France, and Italy, where you had all of these shops who would put together very inexpensive, incredibly simple firearms that just did the job, right? They were always chambered in very small cartridges, 32 and 25 ACP, and they would just do the job, right? You could get them for like 20 bucks in the 60s, and so that was what the working man would pick for a self-defense weapon. Naturally, these $20 guns show up at crime scenes, and so the government says that, well, obviously, look, we see disproportionately the guns at crime scenes are these affordable guns, so we have to go after the affordable guns. Never once thinking that, right, which which is first, right, the cart or the horse. Is the gun at the crime scene because it's a bad gun that's killy, or is it at the crime scene because it's popular and affordable?
0: Killy. I love the word Killy. That's a very scientific term.
1: <laughs> well, it's about as scientific as the rest yeah. of our gun debate.
0: <laughs> so, so on in, um, I'm going to tell you how old I am right now because in 1994 I worked on Capitol Hill during the, uh, probably not the first assault weapon ban, but the first time they used that phrase assault weapon. And I was trying to convince a Republican member of Congress, um, that, um, the, the the proposal was no damn good, and I was using all of my libertarian philosophical Second Amendment, the right to defend yourself kind of arguments that that we libertarians use all the time, and and I got absolutely nowhere. So I I scheduled a um an, an appointment at the FBI to go shoot some assault weapons, assault weapons in in danger quotes, and we shot some that were proposed to be banned and others that were not proposed to be banned, and the congressman asked the guy that was that was sort of there with us, what's the difference? And he said, without any sense of irony, well, those look really scary because they're painted black, and those look like hunting rifles, so they're not banned. Right. We're, we're still there, right?
1: Yeah. No, and I mean— we can still import. And to me, it all goes back to import because the Revolutionary War didn't start until they started clamping down on import controls. Uh, I think it all goes down to to that because, and frankly, right now, the way the gun market is the, in the United States, the only way for working men to afford guns is going to be through importation. Um, that's That's just the only way it's going to be right now. And guess what? You can import from any country no matter what sporting shotguns they're cheap as chips you can get as many as you want even from china you can get sporting shotguns try importing an ak from china they will not let you do it and it is because of this fixation with hunting and sport shooting which last time i checked there was no white to be seen anywhere in our hunting documents and I kind of think it's profoundly ironic, too, because if you look at the use of arms across of American history, the most heavily restricted use of arms would be hunting, right? Where else do we tolerate saying, oh, well, you can only put two rounds in the mag, and if it's a Thursday, you can't use that gun, it has to be this, right? Like, hunting is the most regulated type of, of you know firearms activity, and yet it is what we – uh, you know, what the government points to as a quintessentially acceptable firearms activity.
0: So what what is specifically the Biden administration proposing to do on assault weapons? Well, if you know, I'd love to hear it. I don't think anyone really knows. Really well, like he, know. he may not know, but I <laughs> suspect that his staff knows what they got up their sleeve. Right. And it it seems
1: to me, and if you wanna, if you wanna hear my bet, right, from just, you know, I've been hearing it through the grapevine. The thing I'm, I, I expect, is the thing that they always do. They're gonna clamp down on the imports again. I mentioned in my article that there have been, there's, there have been weapons that have been chosen overwhelmingly by working and urban Americans, um, and very overwhelmingly by. African Americans for home defense and the, there's a class of gun they're often referred to as AK pistols and these are fantastic firearms for home defense. They are wonderful and a couple of years ago you could get them for $399. That's going to be the first thing they come through. They've been coming in because they've been imported as pistols. And pistol control it's very much easier to get a pistol into the country than otherwise. I think that they are going to clamp down on that assault pistol right type deal uh, and stop those. That is going to dry up the availability of these hyper-effective and affordable defensive weapons, um, and that is going to have a serious impact on the quality of life of American un- gun owners because, again, these are hyper-effective, hyper-affordable weapons that are just going to be gone. And Of course, what's gonna happen? The same thing with everything else. They're not gonna be banned, right? Because I think even the Biden administration knows that you need an act of Congress, right, to go all the way through to get some kind of ban there. But what's it gonna do? Well, it's gonna turn these into pre-banned guns, and then suddenly they're gonna be a thousand, two thousand, three thousand dollars. And that's not hyperbole. We can see that with what happened in uh eighty-nine. There were all cheap Chinese. AKs and other guns coming in. You can get them from $299 at the time. Right now, they're trading hands for three to four thousand. All it did is turn it from a working man's effective tool
0: to a, you know, luxury collector toy. Yeah, it, I, I never really thought about that, but that that is a total. First of all, it sounds like something you can do tragically through executive action, right? Like yes. we don't, there don't seems to be very few limits, particularly when it comes to trade. And uh, Trump sort of ran rampant with that stuff. Um, So what's to stop the Biden administration from doing it? But it's also an end run around the Second Amendment, I suppose. Right.
1: Right. Well, it's also not very sexy, right? Because, you know, how many um, of the like, you know, traditional red meat 2A supporters are you going to get to say, no, I want guns from China, right? (laughs) They're not going to say it. Right. Uh, they're not going to say I want to import more guns. No, they're going to they they might not even know. I know plenty of people that have these handguns that are made in Croatia and the company is very you know quiet about that um because you know if you look at all their marketing right it all looks so American, they probably don't even know that they are the beneficiary of you know international trade. So when you say and when when all you can say is oh, Biden clamps down on guns from the former soviet states right and communist countries how many red blood you know red meat 2 a guys are going to start frothing about it now they'll get away with it and it'll and it'll slide right under and the most unfortunate thing is that you know if we get a, a more you know allegedly 2 a friendly administration coming in what are the chances that they're going to be the one to pick up the mantle and say you know what I'm going to ease restrictions on imported guns.
0: Yeah. So it's, how
1: sexy is that to Republicans, right?
0: No. <laughs> and particularly, it's it's kind of it's almost a progressive argument because you're you're punishing uh, working Americans, poor Americans, uh, uh, urban Americans, people of color who don't have three grand right. to spend on on a radically more expensive expensive weapon. And it's sort of interesting the politics of this because. I'm sure you know, I just read an article that said that African-Americans in 2020, uh, gun ownership increased by 58%. Is that, is that number possible? It sounds right. Yeah. Uh,
1: I mean, I've I've watched it. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I have a, my best friend and I have a small gun shop here in town and I can just tell you after all of this stuff started, uh, you know, the days I'd be there working with him, I'd see people coming in, and these are people from the neighborhood, from the community, and I'd be like, wait a minute, I know you, right? You're that hyper-liberal, you know, fourth-grade teacher. What are you doing here? <laughs> right? And So the people that we saw come in that were new gun owners, and this is something that gives me hope, um, were people that you wouldn't ordinarily—they they certainly weren't conservatives, is, is all I'll say. Plenty of people of color, which, you know, I was— plenty excited about because i you know think uh, as a person of jamaican ancestry that's the best thing that you can possibly do right is have an effective means of self defense especially if you don't trust the government to do the job for you so the only worry i have is that it will not change the rhetoric right uh, i think that for gun owners or people who are just, you know, and I've met a lot of libertarians that don't want to own a gun for X, Y, or Z reason, and, and you know, that's fine. But I think what we need to do—so what has changed now is the number of people who could and you and I have heard it a lot back in the earlier days of, um, you know, before now in the gun rights debate. You'd hear all the time, I just can't imagine why you would ever want something like that in your home. That's gone. Right? That whole argument is gone. And so it's up to us whether we can capitalize upon it and communicate with these people. Yeah, you saw that you had to spend, you know, eight, nine hundred dollars on that thing. Here's why. And if we can just get people talking about it, you know, the more I don't see a downside, whether you're on the left side or right side, whatever, for people being able to affordably. Get effective means of controlling their bodies, controlling their mind, their autonomies, controlling their property, and keeping themselves safe. You might not like what your neighbor has to say about, you know, the minimum wage, but I don't think you have anything to lose by him being able to afford an AK of his own.
0: So I was on. Uh, uh, I've been on Clubhouse now for okay. for a couple months. Are you on Clubhouse? Um, not yet, but I was taking a peek. okay, um if you want to get on, let me know because I got extra invites. but one of the first rooms I did was a room of uh, black gun trainers, and it was a combination of of sort of philosophical libertarians who were who who understood the history of of the the racist history of of right. gun control in the United States and others who were just practically there because they wanted. That ability to defend themselves. There's so much crazy stuff going on um, over the last year, um, all over the place, and it was it was fascinating to me listening to people that were actually far better at explaining the practical reasons why gun ownership is is essential in America. So I I left that being quite encouraged, saying, okay, this is this is working. Um, what and and this is one, things you, one of the things you did in the documentary that I thought was so effective is just just explaining going back to my failure as a as a congressional staffer to explain why the Second Amendment matters. What's what are the arguments that that matter to people who don't happen to be libertarians? Right, and
1: this is super important because I I tell people when you when someone asks you why you need because you will even still today you will get the question if you choose if the weapon you chose right and you're a first time gun owner or whatever and the weapon you chose was an ar or an ak i think you made the right choice but you will still get people who might be more sensitive now but they'll still be confused as to why you need that weapon right and the worst thing you could say is well the second amendment right because you're making a legal technical argument What you're actually arguing, if because if they disagree with you, the argument you have just made is what we need to do is repeal the Second Amendment. That's why I never talk about the Second Amendment, really, uh, outside of legal technical contexts, Because the fact is, if you want to convince people that gun rights are important, you shouldn't be talking about the Second Amendment. You should be talking about real-world situations, the real world that we live in, which is, Guess what? The Supreme Court has said repeatedly that the police have no duty to protect you. And guess what? We've seen repeatedly that we do not live in a utopia. Things can go sideways and they can go sideways fast. And if that happens, you're on your own. And so choosing to purchase and keep an effective firearm is kind of like putting on a seatbelt, right? That's how I view it. I'm actually an incredible pacifist and, and people you know, are sometimes surprised to hear that. And I'm like, well, why would you be? I have this in case the worst day of my life were to happen, not the best day. And I mean, of course, my collection weapons are another story. Like, you wouldn't see me using my Brita PG, you know, in, in defense of myself. That would be kind of silly. No, it's my AK-74 is what I would trust. Uh, and, The reason I have an AK-74 would be if the most horrible thing ever were to happen, that I would have a fighting chance as an innocent person, as a person who does not harm other people to come out on the other side, okay. And so that's the question, what is more fair? A system where an innocent person who does not want to harm other people, something terrible happens and it's, well, your time came or you had a chance.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm 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 also sort of a, a goofy piecnic kind yeah. of uh, hippie mentality on these things, and yeah, I don't even hunt. I, I, I think yeah. it's boring and kind of gross. <laughs> yeah, no, I I grew up in uh, in rural Pennsylvania and everybody hunted, and I I was not one of those guys that yeah. wanted to go shoot something, and so I've I've always shotguns, but I, I've never owned a gun until about four or five years ago. Both my wife Terry and I decided. To, to go through a pretty arduous process in the District of Columbia to get to get our handgun uh, permits, and we did all the training and all of that. But but the trigger for me was I don't know if you remember, but this, but there was a terrorist attack in Paris at the at the Bataclan theater, mm-hmm. a band called the Eagles of Death Metal. I happened to be into the band, which I think really personalized it. But just um, these guys came in. And just slaughtered everybody. And it it resonated with me in a sense that I actually felt guilty being a gun rights person philosophically, but almost like free riding on on the um, vague belief that, that someone else would take that responsibility of of personal defense. So we, we got into it for for personal security reasons. I'm I'm not even slightly interested in in any sort of like engagement that would that would be a nightmare scenario for me. but but I felt I felt an individual responsibility to defend my family, and if it comes down to it, my community. It's
1: highly practical. I mean, it it is hyper rational. Look, and especially all the things we were just both discussing. These things can happen anywhere. We know the cops probably aren't going, if you know, if things get really hairy, they're probably not going to protect us and that's also rational right why would they you know why would they put their life on the line to save other people it's you can't expect that of another human being i don't i don't expect it and i'm not angry at them for it i just made the choice to to go out and determine what is the most effective thing i can do i determined that that would probably be to get some good body armor and a very effective carbine I determined that was the AK-74, and that's one of very few modern weapons I own. And I just said, all right, now, just like you, if something horrible happens to me, the people I love, or my community, there is something that I could possibly do, right? And it's so hard to have this conversation with people who haven't had that moment of realization, right? I remember talking to somebody and I said, I said, you know, they said, why, well, why would you do that? This is, of course, before all this stuff happened and many people learned that there's a very rational reason to want to keep a gun. And I said, well, because I care about my family and I care about this. And their response was, you know, it's not like a video game, right? <laughs> and I was just like, and full disclosure, you know, most people have not, thank God, not ever have to use their firearms in self-defense unfortunately i was in a position like that before and it changed my whole outlook i now thank god nobody was hurt but i was in a situation where i had to draw my gun everything became much more clear to me then everything became much more real and it no it didn't feel like call of duty it sucked right but it was real and I learned that it's not up to me. It's up to the people around me, right? It it and th- any of them can go wrong at any moment. It's it's like so that's that's a thing, I guess, that if you are somebody who's on the fence or or kind of think it's weird that you know I would choose to, you know, own body armor or a weapon, I, I guess just know that I don't think it's fun or it's cool. I think that it's horrible and ugly. And that if just something were to happen, I just, I want to be okay, and I want the people I love to be okay. And, you know, if you have to make that choice, it's a serious choice. And if you aren't comfortable with making that choice, you probably shouldn't own a gun. But most people, I think, you know, have the wherewithal to know, right, what is a real threat and what is not, and to be responsible should something like that happen.
0: Well, you wrote about uh, Breonna Taylor. We just we just passed the the one year anniversary. I've always used the word murder. I know some lawyers get upset when we, we when I do that, but having those are stupid lawyers. It was a murder. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Um. Thank you for for not scolding me on that. Um. Talk a little bit about um your take one year out. You you had some interesting ideas on on how how much immunity police actually have or at least what they should not have when it comes to to using violence, particularly in, in a in a in a scenario like Breonna Taylor where the where the, the one cop basically just sprayed the apartment with bullets.
1: Right. And I mean and then here I, I live in South Florida and I can't of course we're talking about qualified immunity. I catch a lot of heat for this. And you know I'm somebody who's very deep in the gun sphere, and that is something that, just as a matter of fact, most people in that sphere are, you know, mainstream conservative, and so they believe that you know you need to defend the police officers no matter what happens. As a civil rights lawyer, I've seen some pretty horrible things happen to some people. so I have a different perspective. I would never call myself anti-cop. But I would certainly call myself anti-qualified immunity in no uncertain terms. And th- not just the Breonna Taylor situation. Here in South Florida, I will tell you, Broward County has some of – if you feel comfortable around a Broward County sheriff's officer, I would like some of whatever you're drinking. Uh, it, they're nightmares. The UPS – you saw the UPS thing? Yeah. It was determined that something like an individual officer would have had to have dumped a magazine and reloaded and kept firing, right, for the amount of rounds which penetrated that bus, right, for the jewel thief and penetrated other cars in the area and how much responsibility was there. So qualified immunity is something that was created by the Supreme Court out of whole cloth, and it was created for a reason that you, you can very much sympathize with, right? You don't want the average beat cop, if he's in a life or death situation, and he makes a decision that is not fantastic, you don't want every single time them to be, you know, completely torn to shreds and be financially ruined and crippled and everything. There would be a threat. I can understand the argument that there would be a threat that you would deter people from serving as police officers. The strength of that argument, I don't want to get into, but how that has been interpreted over the years is this idea that if what the officer did is not clearly established to be a violation of people's rights, that they can't be held liable. The problem is what you and I as rational people, right, would accept as clearly established to be a violation of people's rights is 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 very different from what the courts have said it is. And what the courts have said it is, is basically if a police officer has not behaved in a virtually identical, completely insane manner, he can't be held liable. And even if you do, you know, say this is clearly wrong, well, he won't be held liable, but the one who behaves in an identical way will. And one of the first cases I had ever seen, you know, we've seen all this stuff. We've seen the Breonna Taylor stuff where they're just mag dumping. We've seen, uh, you know all of these instances, all of these murders that happen, I don't think it's so insane to say, and I'm not even saying, I'm not even saying lock them in prison. I'm saying the family should get compensation. That's what I'm saying when I say we need to hold back qualified immunity, and we get such a vicious backlash, such an aggressive backlash to that, where it's if something like one of the first cases, and, and Clark Neely is a friend of mine. He's still at Cato. He's one of the best writers on qualified immunity, and he and I talked. Um, do you remember that? Case, it was a while ago. I think it was in Tennessee where a police officer walked up to a person's house and said, "You know, if you don't comply, I'm going to shoot your dog." And there's a little Chihuahua sitting out in the in the street, and the guy goes, "Well, that's not my dog," and the officer just co- just proceeds to shoot it in the face casually. That was one of the first cases I had ever seen where the court says, "No, you're liable," right? That's how insane you have to be, right? And so I think there is a point, right, where it, behavior is insane. And I think that point is, is, you know, it's clearly south of shooting a tiny chihuahua in the face. I think it should be significantly south of kneeling on a man's neck for an extended period of time as well. Uh, and I think it's a problem that we can't agree that that point of civil liability is south of that.
0: Yeah. And it's, this is—you you point out this blind spot amongst uh, back the blue conservatives who forget their otherwise uh, rational suspicion of unchecked power. And to me, it's just—it's just Lord Acton. It's not—I uh, don't—I don't think that the police um, are inherently bad people any more than I think that any government official with unchecked power has the potential to to be a horrible person. And. And to me, that's sort of uh, constitutional conservatism 101 that, you know, the, the counter to that, the blind spots on the progressive left, you know, there was all this talk about about defunding the police. But from my perspective, um, well, two things, defund the police, which distracted from real criminal justice efforts like reining in qualified immunity. And and I had Clark on on the show not too long ago, and we we talked about some of this stuff. But but the other thing is is gun control. Like it, you want to fund the police um, instead of reining in the, the the unchecked power of the police, and then you want to take away all of our ability to defend ourselves, so that only the police have guns. Help help me with the logic on this one. So the
1: here's the problem with gun control. Um and. You know, I've made significant inroads with people on the left when it comes to gun control by speaking uh, um, emotionally and, and telling them my story. Uh, you know, it's possible to make good inroads with these people, but the problem is, from what I've observed, um, you know, in talking with many, many people and debating many people, the way these people perceive guns, they have never had a positive interaction with a firearm, and that's understandable, right? They live in jurisdictions where it's almost impossible to do so. They go into public schools where, and I think that, you know, in my time in public school, I think we were some of the first to get the never touch a gun, right, because it's evil type of programming. Um, That might be strong language, but hey, whatever. That's how it felt. And so they wind up with this very excusable conception of a firearm as a social contagion, Right and and they want to treat it as if it is cholera and and so that is the only way that i can explain this uh this this logic right is that no we have to get rid of the guns because the gun is this like horrible goop that exudes uh you know toxic fumes right and well, yes, the police need to have the toxic fume sprayers because it's, you know, necessary for their job. But if we just get rid of as much fumes as possible, it's going to be better. Um, but if, if if you get these people to a point where they can accept any positive utility of a firearm, any, be it from recreational or self-defense, their tone changes. Um, and, and so that's what I believe the, the disconnect is there.
0: Yeah, there's this. Uh, uh, there's definitely a cultural divide, which essentially comes down to whether or not you were around weapons, whether or not you had an opportunity. I'm I'm old enough that I actually um, was shooting in high school, and that was that was a normal thing. I, th- I think I think parents would totally freak out about that. But you used a word that that I think is is pretty apt, uh, contagion. And I'm thinking about, um, and I've, and I've been talking way too much about, about lockdowns and, and this mass. Well, How can you yeah. not? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm stuck in my house right on Capitol Hill, um, because a year later we're, we're still anxious about this, but I, well, there's I plenty dealing... of
1: space down here for you, brother.
0: Yeah, I know. I, I'm actually uh, headed to Florida tomorrow for a little bit of time in the free state and, and desperately trying to convince, uh, terry my wife to consider possibly not living in the belly of the beast but um and she'll be mad that we even talked about this on on camera (laughs) but uh that that the fear right the fear um if we can scare people enough um the government has carte blanche to take away our our most basic freedoms and and who would have ever thought that that the government, uh, state governments specifically, but the federal government's been part and parcel of this, could tell you, you can't leave your house. Or the uh, local governments. Yeah, yeah, well, I, yeah. I have a tyrannical mayor that's telling me that I can't sure leave do. my house. She she tells me when and if I can go to a restaurant, and, and I couldn't have imagined this stuff a year ago. I, I wouldn't have imagined that any Americans would tolerate this, but if we can scare people enough, Getting back to guns, if you don't understand anything about this, if you've never picked up a gun, if you've never known anybody that responsibly uses firearms, you can't even conceive of how it is that 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 people could do this. So a lot of it is just education and sort of acclamation to to the fact that that guns are are safe and effective. And if you are a responsible person, you probably need to consider getting involved with with guns and gun safety.
1: Well, and then on top of that, what gun, right? You got to pick the gun. And it just always so happens, and that's what I talked about in my article, that the gun that they're pushing against is the best compromise for the average person. Yeah. Like I was I was I talked about there before the and you know, I was on a podcast recently and I said I said of the people there was like six people in the room. I said how many of you have bought an AR for under $400, right? And they all raised their hands because they were gun guys before this. You wonder why it became America's rifle? $399, of course you don't see that now, but it was common. That, and there's a reason, there's a reason. And like, of course I'm preaching to the choir with libertarians, but there's a reason the cost fell. It's because the demand was high enough to justify increased production. Why was the demand high? because they're really, really, really good, you know? Um, and and that's like, it's conversations I've had with people who are like, I think I want to get a gun, but I don't want none of that crazy stuff. And so I take them to the range and I show them all the different stuff. And they're like, geez, I really like that. <laughs> you know, it's yeah, it's easy to use. It's cheap. You, you're right. All of the things that you'd want in a car are here in the AK-74. So Just- why would you not pick it?
0: just just get a natural wood stock because then then it's super safe
1: (laughs) right well yeah and that's that's the best balance about the ak in my opinion is that they do commonly come with wood on them right they do still have a pistol grip but it is made of a dead tree and thus it is much more comforting
0: (laughs) yeah yeah so um let's uh let's let's repeat just one more time um where we can find out more about what you're doing because i I do think that your work is 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 a very easy and accessible way for for people that are interested in sort of learning the facts on all this stuff to figure it out. Give us give us some uh, addresses and stuff.
1: Right on, thank you. And I feel the same way about your program, and that's why I watch it all the time. Uh, so my channel that's focused on gun content is FUD Busters, F U D D Busters. It's kind of a play on words um, that uh, in the gun community we refer to these you know hunting types as fuds. Uh, But, yeah, you can find that on YouTube and all of the other social media. Um, As for my personal content, more broadly, I'm at M-A-T-T-L-A at law, Matt Law at law. And you can find that on all of your favorite social medias.
0: Cool. Good. Good to catch up, man. Likewise. Great to see you.